0: Hey everyone, it's George here. Just before I start this second episode, I just wanted to thank everyone who's given their support to the podcast. It's really, really nice to hear so many kind words of feedback. And additionally, thank you to those who've given us a five star review on your chosen platform or just given us a like on YouTube. I do notice all of that. So thank you. Now a little bit of Q&A before we get into the music. So I did get asked, how do you do the podcast voice? I just talk. To be honest, when there's a microphone in front of me, I think I naturally lower my tone, but I'm afraid there's no, there's no funny answer in there. Sorry. Claire asks, what's your favorite podcast? Great question, Claire. Shout out to you. Thanks for asking. I love the Waveform podcast, which despite the name is actually about technology, not about music. It's hosted by Marquez Brownlee, who is uh, a YouTuber slash tech reviewer. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm obsessed with all that kind of stuff. On a slightly different note, I have really enjoyed listening to the Bellingcat podcast. It's quite tricky to listen to sometimes, to be honest. But again, so interesting learning about this open source journalism and investigation and all that kind of stuff. I'm not really into podcasts about crime and stuff, but this is a very, very well made show. This one's from my number one fan, my girlfriend Maddie. She asks, who are your upcoming guests? And without revealing too much, this week, it's me. And then the following week, and the week after, and the week after, and the week after, I have four different and very unique people coming to talk. So you'll find out in due course. Uh, Did you make the music for the episodes? Yes, I I, I assume you're talking about the intro-outro theme, in which case, yes, I did just kind of whack that together in about an hour. I was just thinking about some music that really is unintrusive, and you can talk nicely over, so there's not a lot of high frequencies in there. It's quite dark. I like the vibe. I composed it on a Digital Audio Workstation or DAW or DAW as some people refer to it as. My DAW of choice is Ableton and I'll talk a lot about that today. Everything on Ableton is shown as a timeline, so to the left you have the start of the song and then you just have this infinite scroll over to the right. From there you can add an unlimited number of audio tracks essentially, whether you're recording a live instrument from a microphone or just recording from a MIDI keyboard or even drawing in the notes yourself. What makes a track really sound good is your choice of instrumentation, so how many layers of drums you're using, whether you've got synthesizers and whether the voicings of them really match nicely. From there on, you can think about audio effects, so how you manipulate that sound once it's down on the timeline. This could be anything from an EQ, which means you are taking away or adding certain frequencies, or a reverb, which means you are designing the space in which the sound is playing. I really love all the possibilities you can get here, but I will talk about all that in more detail in the episode. So let's get to it. Hey, I'm George, and you're listening to Future Mix podcast. I'm a musician, teacher and producer, and this podcast brings you right into the world of making music with the artists of the future. Over the course of this series, and deconstructing the music of up-and-coming artists and producers who create music using only, or very nearly only, their computer. These people aren't millionaires working in industrial studios with fancy outboard gear. These are the people to watch out for in the future. Those who can create something from nothing without a major label behind them. In today's special second part, I'm going to be looking at a bit of my own work. A remix of Sov's Always the Same that we heard previously. Although we had a lot to talk about last time, I really wanted to explain a little about my input and talk about what I use to make music on my laptop. I write music on a MacBook, and I have done for a few years now. I do bits of Logic Pro 10, but my main workstation is Ableton Live 10. I guess I've just become really accustomed to the way it looks and feels, and to me it never gets repetitive, even if I'm making similar music every day that doesn't necessarily lead anywhere. It's just a really nice place to be. I think another huge benefit to Ableton is the way the audio effects work. The way they all form a nice little line at the bottom of the project so you can visualise the path that the sound is taking and adjust parameters without opening up a bunch of other windows. These little things, whether a delay or a reverb goes first, or whether you're EQing into compression, they're also important in solo music production. Now the first thing I did when Ben sent over the stems was drag them all into Ableton and have one solitary playthrough. The song hadn't been released at this point, so it was the first I'd heard of it. The reason I only listened to the whole thing once was because I wanted to base my remix on my first impressions of the tune, so I could pick up on the stuff that really stood out to me. When I listen to a song too much, I find I get so used to it that I can't imagine it any other way. This makes putting my own stamp on it a little more difficult. Next, I looped some bits and soloed lots of tracks to see what might be hidden away, kind of like how we deconstructed the original on the last episode of the podcast. The first thing I did was solo the main synth in the drop, What I love about this motif is that it goes the whole way through the song pretty much with some augmentations. So I wanted to build on this. You'll hear it come in during a lot of the verse and super aggressively in the drop. For the bits in the verse, I pitched it up an octave or two sometimes and sat it right at the back of the mix. It was a nice way of keeping continuity. I wanted to make everything a bit heavier in general. So I took that awesome synth riff from the chorus and put it into the verse instead. That way I knew I had to build from there. What you heard there was the original synth from the drop, then the two layers I added to make it hit that much harder. Here's the second one soloed. I also like to use little stabs to reinforce the main melody at certain accented moments, like these ones. So both of those synth sounds were made in native instruments massive, which is my favourite software synth. Of course, you can always use the argument that all digital synths are fundamentally the same, but it's less about the oscillators and more about the workflow and the way they inspire you. I just look at the GUI on Massive and I feel ready to create something, similar to how I feel with Ableton's interface. Sure, Massive is a bit outdated cosmetically and even lacks quite a few features that modern subtractive synths have, but it works for me, and that's all that matters. I'm also using Massive for these filtered plucks throughout, which actually leads me quite nicely onto the topic of chords. In terms of harmony here, we're using a pretty simple four chord sequence. It's basically E flat minor to G flat major to B major, then D flat major on repeat. It's quite generic in modern dance music to be playing with tertiary movement, which means moving by thirds, but I don't think it felt overused here. You don't have to look very far to find the sequence elsewhere. I really love arpeggiators, and I feel like nobody uses them these days, which is kind of a shame. There's something really cool about just letting the metronome do its thing and pressing down on a random chord, then hearing loads of pretty semiquavers all programmed in. two arpeggiators in this remix are both from Silent 1, which is another great software synthesizer. I think they were just my variations of basic presets. A lot of the time I'll stumble upon a sound I really like from a batch of presets then I'll just mess around with some of the parameters until it sounds radically different. I'm just not a fan of starting from a blank patch with a sawtooth wave and nothing else. It's really nice how some of those notes pop out as the filter opens and closes. Actually, there's one more thing I forgot about in there. It's very, very distant and low in the mix, but there's this reversed piano sound reinforcing the harmony. There's something very sci-fi about a reversed piano, but it's really simple to execute. I just play the notes, mix it out, then reverse the sample. I think the particular piano library I used was The Gentleman by Native Instruments, which runs inside of Contact, their sampler. It's got a lovely character, and I prefer to make the timbre really soft kind of out of place in EDM, but I like to have a few things that are different. And with the plucks. and with the arpeggiators. We're going to take a quick break and I'll be right back with more remixing in just a second. It's been a tough year for music and the arts in general, but I don't think everybody realises just how tough a year it's been. For people who don't work in this industry, it might seem to be a huge inconvenience, not seeing a gig, not being able to meet at the club, but it's so easy to forget that for some people, it's not just a loss of social life, it's a loss of professional life and a complete career destroyer. Now I've been okay. I've lost out financially and I wasn't eligible to get any of it back because freelance work isn't like getting a refund from Ticketmaster a few weeks later. But I can't support this podcast on my own. And that's where my brand new Patreon page comes in. I'm going to be offering various tiers of support available for you to choose. 100% of subscription for the duration of this season will go straight back into funding the show and bringing improvements all round. You'll be able to see all the updates as I get new gear and resources to be able to make the best interviews possible. And there's a little incentive for you too. At the higher tier, you'll be getting brand new content that you can't see or hear anywhere else. This is going to include cut sections of interviews, extended episodes, high quality downloads, stems from the episodes to download and keep, synth patches, drum samples and much more. So why not check out my brand new Patreon page for the podcast? Now let's get back to the music. For the drums on this mix, I opted not to use any of the samples Ben sent over, although they were really clean and well mixed. I find that with drums I like to start from a blank canvas. To me, a drum sound is super personal and individual. Take Skrillex's sound. There's nobody in the world that can make a Skrillex song and I reckon 50% of that is due to how his brain is unique to him and the other 50% is just those drum sounds. He's super protective of them and I completely understand that. I've amassed probably 100,000 odd samples over the years and while this is a little daunting, I'm a sucker for some good file organization. It also means I can make little drum racks with Ableton for my particular favorites and quickly play things in with my keyboard. People don't always talk about the importance of finding inspiration. And usually to me, that could just come from a really cool squelchy snare or something. I don't go to the middle of nowhere and listen to birdsong or anything. I just have to delve into my archives a bit. Let me break down the verse for you a bit. So we've got a four to the floor kick with a ride on top, filling out those high frequencies. Then I add a pretty laid back kind of snap on two and four. After that, we get some development with a shaker loop. That bass line in there is the key to keeping this interesting. It's just bouncing between the root and the octave above it, but it's really syncopated and pushes away from the floor to the floor stuff on the kick. Since everything is to some degree side-chained to the kick, it really punches through. Side-chain compression means that when the kick plays, the audio I've routed through the compressor ducks down to compensate for the signal of the kick. It's such a widely heard sound nowadays, but most people might not recognise it without it being demonstrated. I'll just show you over the piano chords from earlier. Did you hear the difference when the sidechain kicked in? I'll try it again with the lead synth from the drop. Did you hear it there? It makes a big difference to the groove. If a drum hit coincides with a synth stab or a big moment in another instrument, you would have got this horrible doubling of the sound and a big spike in dynamics. A sidechain compressor helps to prioritize the things that matter in the music, and in electronic music, that's almost always the kick. In the build of the song, we lose the sidechain and the drums initially, but just before the second drop, I used some acoustic samples from Get Good Drums. They're an amazing company that make libraries for contact and I really appreciate just how forensic you can get with the mixing. It's also really nice to be able to play in the part on my electric drum kit, since for usual writing of drum parts, I just draw in the MIDI. It's only about four bars of material, but it's the fine details that make a part of the song special. Get Good Drums' snares and toms are the highlights of their libraries, as you can give them such a nice sustain. Here I've layered it with the cymbal sound from the drum machine. So you've got this blend of syncopated accents on the toms, which means deliberately off the beat, and then the cymbal, almost playing like a perfect metronome. Finally, in that drop, it's where all the drums come to a head, and the groove really makes sense. I'll flick through a lot of samples before I find a kick and snare that gel nicely. Often, as was the case in this mix, I find the right sound early on, but in other instances it might be halfway through the process, or even right at the end when I finally settle on a sound. There's a lot of adjustments being made all the way through the compositional process, and I'm really fussy about compression on the drum bus. I think the balance you want to catch is where the transient, that means the initial attack of the sound, really punches through, but it's not so sharp it affects the perception of other instruments. Probably the most important plugin here on the drum bus is Supercharger GT, which is a compressor I use. It not only compresses the sound, but it adds a little bit of saturation and warmth. Then add a little EQ to tidy up the muddy frequencies, and here's what you get. I suppose the main thing the drums really compete with in dance music is the bass. Some of those frequencies just get used way too much, and it's easy to make a song feel heavy and weighed down. It's like if you've ever heard a song with subs the whole way through, it can get really fatiguing. For this tune, there's some really, really deep subs in the build. I'll play them, but unless you've got a subwoofer or some decent headphones, you're not even going to catch the lowest note. Then in the drop itself, I use a much more harmonic-filled bass sound to follow every kick. This one has some shape to it and the notes resonate a few octaves above. This means they're audible even on smaller speakers that aren't able to produce things below, say, 100 hertz. It's a kind of psychoacoustic trick to make more of an impact in the drop, and they're really noticeable on things like AirPods, laptop speakers, and other systems with very limited bass response. Subs are super powerful, but not in an aggressive way like these. You can hear, if I apply a high pass filter at 150 Hz, meaning I'm gently cutting out everything below that frequency, then during the drop, there's still a lot of that upper harshness audible, but for the sub, all you can hear is the occasional click of the note. There's really nothing else there, just the low octave, which means it's not interfering with anything else. Now, other than changing up the order and upping the tempo, the vocals didn't need much altering, just a few little sprinklings of reverbs and harmonizations, usually an octave, or maybe a fifth like in the second build. This mix was pretty much all about making a really hard-hitting version of the original, something I was really desperate for, having been in lockdown for several months when making it. One cool thing I did do, though, was turn a vocal sound into a kind of riser effect. This was very similar to how I did the reverse piano, so I basically added a bit of reverb to one slice of vocal note, then I mixed out the sound, then I reversed it, and played around with the pitches of it. it There's another one right at the beginning on a lower note, and to be honest, I do it again like five more times. (laughs) I mean, don't be afraid to keep doing something if it sounds good, right? The final session consisted of around 50 tracks in total. 7 for vocals, 15 synths, 6 basses, 13 drums, and then a handful of effects and buses. Another great thing about taking lots of material from the original is your CPU hates you a bit less. I find even with my i9 MacBook with plenty of RAM, enough MIDI tracks will cause you a problem before you know it. Of course, you can always commit to freezing or flattening to audio in Ableton, but I don't really like committing to that early on. In this instance, I manually saved a few different versions where I changed the direction of the song drastically, so I always had some records of before it all went wrong, if it did. I did all the mixing and mastering in-house, as I like to be in control of all those aspects. My philosophy is essentially top-down mixing, which means I'll put some plugins on the master bus before I alter things at a more precise level. It's quite a common thing to do, as one EQ adjustment, for example, will affect absolutely everything coming into it. It's fast, and as I've usually got the sound I want in my head before I even start, it wouldn't make much sense to approach it differently, I don't think. And that's what it comes down to, really. Personal taste. I hope you enjoyed seeing things from my perspective a little bit today, and I can't wait to be back with some more music chat in the near future. I have a really awesome episode coming out soon for the third in the series, and that'll bring us past the halfway point in series one of the podcast. Don't forget to check out my brand new Patreon page, I'll link it below. As a subscriber, you'll get to download and keep all those synth patches I talked about, and I might even chuck in a drum sample or two. Until next time, stay healthy.